Another song on your heart that you want to sing? thought I heard one. It's found on page 553 in your pew Bible. And it's a worship service that uh, Isaiah shares uh, with us that attempts attempts to give meaning to what we just sang. How do we, what exactly does it mean to exalt God? What what exactly will that, that mean for us to consider, recognize, experience God as high and exalted and, and lifted up? This is uh, His worship service that we'll use as a model for us of what it means to to worship God together. Isaiah chapter 6, starting with verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of His robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above Him. Each had six wings. With two they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed. And your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We have here an an example of a a worship gathering. Of the, the people of God gathering to worship God, where, where they are, are seeking to be, to be led in an experience of the reality of God's presence. The, the fullness of the reality of God's presence in power and His love. In, in just how magnificent and magnanimous the very nature of God, how, how great and how graceful Now, that's what we'll talk about today. Worship gatherings. And that's worship with a lowercase w. Because worship with a capital W is the whole series. And worship with a capital W is that we live our whole lives under God. I mean, 24-7 is a worship service unto God. And we'll get there by the end. But our focus today is just looking at what does it mean for us to gather 
Worship with a capital W is what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. For that is your spiritual service of worship. And that's, that's the, the theme for our whole gathering, that, that worship, capital W, is what we do seven days a week. That we give ourselves unto God. And that is worship. But when we gather here for a worship gathering, small w, it's a training ground. It's a reminder. It's an encouragement where we, we gather together to encourage one another. To remind each other what's true. To remind each other what's real. To remind each other whose voice we want to listen to. To remind each other whose words offer truth and freedom. It's it's very important that we remind each other of that. Important that we experience that truth and reality when we gather together. So that we, in all of our lives, are responding to the right voice. To the right signal. I was at, uh, last year, last spring, in one of Nate's soccer games. And... uh, Ball's right in front of the, the goal, and Nate was playing goalie, and one of the kids on his team just reached down, grabbed it, and picked it up. And if you don't know anything about soccer, that's illegal. And so the other team, I mean like 10 feet from the goal, just gets a penalty kick and scored. And uh, asked the kid afterwards, you know, uh, what were you thinking? And uh, he said, I heard the whistle blow. You know, this is one of those fields where it's like five fields in a row. And he had heard the whistle blow on the field next to him and obeyed that voice, that signal, instead of obeying the voice of the ref on his field. When we leave here, it's not just five. It's a multitude of fields and all kinds of referees that want to give us signals they want to blow their whistle at us. And we, we gather here so that we experience the, the, the true voice of God. That we experience His reality and His truth. So that when we go out there, we know which voice we hear. What whistles to obey. Isaiah's experience then with God here, it can be a model for us, for our gathering together to experience the true and real God. That which is more true than the sun rising. That which is more real than even the air that we breathe. That we understand and experience God's all-surpassing power, His majesty, and His grandeur. That we truly exalt Him together. That's what the beginning passage, actually the first four verses, are are spent on Isaiah sharing with us the the vision that he has as he gathers with others and he sees in his mind's eye the very presence of God. And he sees one sitting on a throne high and lofty. And on that throne above him are seraphs. Seraphim. It really means little burning ones. It's like little flames of fire that are above him. And these flames of fire have wings. You know, when you have visions, they don't make sense. So don't ask me how flames of fire have wings. But they do. It's what Isaiah sees. And, and these seraphs, burning flames, 
have two wings covering their face, two wings covering their feet, basically saying that the, the four wings are used to cover his whole body. And only the other two are so that he can fly. And these burning flames above him flying around are encouraging one another, speaking to one another, calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. Now, even the word holy is particular to the presence of God. What the word really means in its beginning usage is, is here. It's to saying holy meaning of God. To, to be set apart, to be different. And it probably says, Isaiah hears the holy, 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 not as a trinity, because Isaiah just wouldn't have that concept in his mind. But in, in Hebrew language, you, if you really want to get something across, you say it twice in a row. Holy, holy. Well, here, the seraphs are saying, holy, 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 just to say this is the one that is totally set apart, different than anything we know. He is holy other. W-H-O-L-L-Y. Holy, holy, holy. He is wholly other from anything else that we can imagine, from anything else of creation. There is God. There is the one that created all of this out of nothing. That's, we remind each other, just how majestic, how magnificent, how powerful is this God. And that's what the, the seraphs were doing with one another. Reminding, and even though in their presence was reminding Isaiah reminding us, as what Moses said in Deuteronomy, what the writer of Hebrews said, that our God is a consuming fire. The most common word used in these four, first four verses is the word full. If you look, look at, at that. That's really the, the main point. This God fills up everything. His robe fills the temple. The whole earth is full of His glory. And at the end of the vision, or at that verse 4, smoke filled the temple. So to say just how grand and all-surpassing is the very presence and power of God. And that's what we gather to remind ourselves about. I mean, it's like taking kids to Disney World. You know, you, you take a, a, an eight-year-old to Disney World, you know, and the eyes are huge. Wow, man, this is my world. <laughs> you know, this is my place. Or of having the, the privilege of taking an adult to see the ocean for the first time. Wow. Where does the bathtub end? I mean, look, water, sand. Have you ever had the privilege of taking someone to see the, the Grand Canyon? We, we went to, to Hocking Hills just last weekend for the first time. And we're sitting at the base of one of the, the, the gorge that has the rock that's ten stories tall. You know, you just wonder, man, how was this carved out of this place? How beautiful. I'm like, this is it. You know, this is Christmas picture. You know, for next year. You know, you're always thinking about that, especially about now. You know, you say, all right, you, how can I get a picture that will capture just how gorgeous this gorge is? Here, kids, y'all get right there and I'll try to get a picture. Well, you can get a picture of the whole ten stories and the kids look like a little speck in the bottom. Or you can get a picture of the kids with one rock behind them and say, imagine this, ten stories tall. But that's what it is. But you, we just can't capture just how majestic, how 
how powerful is our God? You know, just like Labor Day, and the fireworks, you know, 30 minutes of explosions in the sky. Ooh, ah, I mean, take that and multiply it times 100. That's what we gather to, to remind ourselves of just how big is our God. To use our language to, to recognize the power, the magnificence of God, that truly God is the beast like no other. And once we recognize that, like Isaiah, we respond. We respond to this, this picture, this understanding, just the smidgen of a piece of trying to grasp God's majesty. And Isaiah leads the way. The response to God's majesty and beauty is humility and repentance. And when, when Isaiah finally takes his jaw off the floor, as he's been in this majestic presence, his first words, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Woe, woe is me. I'm on the roller coaster and we're out on the first hill and I want to get off the ride. Man, I, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. I am in trouble. I have sat in my house during a hurricane. I've literally seen the walls shake. I have seen trees snap. I've seen the streets filled with water. And there's nowhere to turn. You can't get in your car then. You can't call mama. That's what Isaiah is feeling then. Woe is me. How did I get into this situation? Because I am in trouble before, in the presence of a holy, majestic God. Just like Peter in the boat when he realized he was looking at God face to face and he fell down on his face. Get away from me. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. Or like Thomas, remember him doubting? And Jesus coming into his presence and he sees the scars in his hands and the scar in his side and he falls down and says, You are my Lord. You are my God. That's what Isaiah leads us to. The passage doesn't soft pedal his guilt their guilt or ours. It is a right understanding that we are sinners. We are broken. We do not fulfill what God has created us to do. And that is exactly where we need to be in a worship gathering. To be reminded that God is God and we aren't. To be reminded that yes, we are in trouble, we are in a mess, and so is everybody else. To come face to face with that truth and reality is what we desire for a worship gathering. That we see God for who God is, and that we see ourselves for who we are. If after a gathering for worship, we have not experienced in some way our own sin before a magnificent God, then we have failed. Either we haven't seen God for all that God is, or we haven't seen ourselves in the truth and reality of who we are. Or maybe some combination of both. 
there's a real danger here. Especially for preacher types. It's a real disease for us. And I want to warn you of this disease. It's called worship evaluation. It's a natural tendency for me and for colleagues when we come and sit in the pew during a, a worship service. It's one where we can uh, come in with pen and paper. But we come in to evaluate the elements of the service. Oh, that song worked really well. Oh, yeah, that was... Oh, they blew that one, huh? I would have exegeted that passage differently. Oh, here's a great way that he should have been preaching on this one. It's a real disease for our types. Because when we enter a worship gathering where we are seeking to encounter the reality and the truth of the living God, the majestic, powerful God that created everything from nothing, who was before there was time and will be when time has ended. We don't come to evaluate. We come to be evaluated. And it's a real disease that I can have To come and sit there and to evaluate, which then enables me to sort of sidestep encountering the reality of God. I wonder if maybe some of you might have caught some of that. It's contagious. That sickness from us. In the South, it's called having the preacher for dinner. When we come to see if the service meets our expectation instead of coming to see if we've met God's. If nothing more, I pray from looking at this service that you'll at least ask yourself, why did I show up this morning? If it wasn't to join with brothers and sisters to meet with God on God's turf... On God's terms. According to His Word. Then I came for an inferior reason. And the good news is God can use inferior reasons and uses them all the time. But what Isaiah is showing us is that our response to God's majesty, to His exalted presence and reality, is humility And total surrender. And then, God acts again. Through the seraphs. Now, I I wouldn't have preached this passage if there wasn't this part. I I, I would have run. I would have gotten out of the ministry. I wouldn't have been here if if it was just the first four verses. But we have to understand the majesty of God in our own fallenness before we can ever understand just how magnificent is His grace and forgiveness. We have to recognize that we're not just, well, sort of mess up here and there, but that we are broken sinners, objects of God's wrath, evil in the face of God. We must recognize that so that we recognize the extent and the generosity, the magnanimous nature of His grace. 
But that's what then happens. The seraphs, the burning ones, take a coal from the altar. The altar is the place where the sacrifice for sin are made. The altar is the place where, where sin is destroyed, is burned up. And the seraphs, the flames with two wings flying, pick up a coal, take it to Isaiah and place it right on his lips. And that's a whole other sermon that Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. And why he focuses there and why the forgiveness is on his lips. That might tell us something, but... I'm not going to go there now. But the seraphs touch his mouth and there say, You're guilt. Yes, you are guilty. Yes, you deserve punishment. It's not, I'm okay, you're okay. Well, we'll just look over it. But no, your guilt now has been pushed aside. Your punishment has been satisfied. Your sin has been removed. Friends, this is the scandal of grace. That forgiveness is simply given. It is simply the generosity of God that overflows to Isaiah in his repentance and surrender. The mercy and grace of Jesus Christ Applied to Isaiah and to you and to me. And look carefully. Look really carefully at what Isaiah does. Do you see it? That's right. Nothing. He does nothing. And that's really important. That's really hard to do nothing. It's really hard to simply receive, but because he recognizes how wide the gap is between him and his majestic God, he doesn't run, he doesn't argue, he doesn't make excuses, he doesn't try to blame anybody, he doesn't go run and make a list. Well, here are the good things that I've done. He doesn't do any of that, but he blatantly, plainly, unadulterated just receives the grace of God because that's the only thing that can save him in the storm that he finds himself in, in the presence of God. Humility, honesty, surrender. The grace of God is received. He responded to God's magnificent generosity by simply receiving. Responds humility, surrender, and receiving. And then, it's interesting here to me, it's not until verse 8 that God Himself speaks. And then it's the simple request. Who will go for me? Whom shall I send? Who's ready to give it all for me? This is the ultimate response of worship. This is where worship turns from small w to capital W. Because I'm willing to bet that Isaiah, in the midst of something so grand and overwhelming, as he's received that forgiveness, as he's been made pure, that he's like an eight-year-old with the right answer, I'll go! I'm there! Wherever you want me, what do I have to lose? Everything I have is yours anyway. 
I should be destroyed. I should be totally obliterated. I don't deserve anything. Everything I have is gift, so I'm yours. I'm a gift back. I love the word send here. It's the same word used for missile or shoot or new growth. And that's what happens at the conclusion of the service. We're to be slung out of here like missiles. Worshiping God. Totally surrendering ourselves unto Him. Having experienced the true jubilee of freedom. That all that we are, all of life is not about us. It's not about being smart enough or good enough or strong enough. It's about God being smart enough. It's about God being good enough. It's about God's power, His magnificence, and His magnanimous generosity. His greatness and His grace. And we, in honest humility and total surrender, yeah, send me. Send us. See, friends, that is worship in its fullness. If you really want to evaluate a worship service, you can't do it on Sunday afternoon. The evaluation of a worship service happens on Tuesday morning. It happens on Thursday afternoon. It happens then. Have we, when we gathered, been prepared and worshipped and so been sent that we worship by giving our whole lives to God with a capital W? And I hope you notice that largely this, this is the flow of our gatherings for worship that we had here. That Isaiah demonstrated for us that we, we gather before God. It was song and scripture to, to help each other, encourage one another, to hear the, the seraphs as we explore the magnificence of God. We respond then in confession that, that we are not worthy. And then we receive, simply receive, do nothing but receive His forgiveness, His grace. And then we're ready to hear His word or to experience His touch, as we'll do today in the Lord's Supper. And then at the end, we respond to His word, to His touch by being sent in in total freedom. Totally under His love, under His grace, under His mercy. Not having to earn anything, but having everything earned for us by Christ. So the flow of worship, our worship gathering, small w, leads us to worship with all of life, capital W. As we come to the table... I invite you to to walk with Isaiah in this flow of worship. Invite you to to recognize, to truly exalt God and, and see and explore and feel His magnificence in our own brokenness, our own sin. During the time of communion, where we receive God's touch, you'll have... Uh, Stations of communion. The bread and the cup. And what I'll ask you to do is take the bread, dip it in the cup, and then eat. But before you do that, 
There will also be healing stations here. You'll uh, see some officers in the church that have little round vials with oil in them. Well, they'll be glad to pray with you and whatever your need or concern, whatever your confession might be. That you join with Isaiah in this time, recognizing God's glory, recognizing your own sin. Maybe you need to do it in your own table. Maybe you need to come up here. You want to just come and, and kneel here or fall on your face here. That's you know, whatever you need to do to recognize God's holiness and purity and our sin. Then do that. Whether it's in your pew, the healing station up here. And then come for communion. I know they'll dismiss you by, by pew but feel free to do what you need to come forward when you're ready so that you experience the magnificence of God and then your own fallenness and then run figuratively, not literally. Run to the table. Run to the bread. Run to the cup. Run to the the body and the blood of Jesus that is broken for you. For that is our understanding of what fulfills the coal. This is the coal that cleansed Isaiah. Now it's been replaced by God Himself. By Jesus the Christ. Receive. Simply receive this gift. So however it best works for you to experience God's magnificence and our fallenness and then run to receive His grace and mercy. I invite you to do that this time.